Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome to this very special edition of Atlanta Business Radio. We are broadcasting live today from Georgia State University, their Entrepreneurship and Innovation Institute. Lee, we're kind of hitting our stride, man. We got an episode under our belt. That was a lot of fun. We caught up with some old friends, starting to make some new ones. This is going to be a fun segment, though. What do you think? Absolutely. All right. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast. First up in this episode, Aziz Hashim, Professor of Franchising Entrepreneurship, Mr. Ben Lawrence. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Thanks for having me today. Well, Ben, uh, before we get too far into things, uh, being a professor of franchising entrepreneurship is an interesting specialty. How did that come about, and um, why should entrepreneurs consider franchising? Well, I moved to Atlanta last year uh, because we have a, a benefactor, Aziz Hashim, who gave a professorship in franchising here at Georgia State. So I moved from Cornell. Uh, my expertise is in franchising. And um, Atlanta is an amazing place to do research and teach franchising. Uh, Atlanta is uh, home to 70-plus franchise-based businesses, including uh, Rourke Capital, who owns such brands as um, Arby's, um, Naf Naf Grill, 30-plus uh, brands where uh, we can get those um, individuals into the classroom, engage with the students. You know, franchising is a really unique type of uh, entrepreneurship. It's a, it's a relationship where an individual uh, connects with a brand, uh, is an independent owner of those, oper- of those outlets, but uses the power of the brand uh, to drive uh, customer traffic. Now, tell me a little bit about how franchising became something you study at school. Like, what is a student, what's that like for the student who's going through this? Is this uh, a class that a potential franchisee or franchisor would go through? Like, what do you learn in that class? Well, I will say that any student in a business school should be studying franchising. It comprises, you know, up to 40% of retail sales. Uh, So in our class, what we talk about is, um, you know, the basics of the franchise model. Uh, We talk about, um, you know, the business model itself, how to to select a franchise you might be interested in. If you're interested in in franchising your business, kind of what businesses fit with franchising, um, it's really for, uh, it's, it's a broad spectrum of students, even students outside the business school. So if you're interested in social entrepreneurship, for example, uh, if you're interested in building a franchise that could um, do good, uh, develop a franchise that would, for example, um, give better access to healthcare in Africa. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, franchising can be applied to any business. It's not just restaurants and hotels, which is a large segment of the franchise-based business. Um, it's, you know, it's in healthcare with, with such brands um, like The Joint, in chiropractic care, um, Massage Envy, um, any type of business you can franchise. And if you're in business, the chances are you will be interacting with a franchise-based business sometime uh, during your work. Uh, you might be selling them something, technology. Um, so to, it, it really doesn't matter what type of um, student you are. Understanding this fundamental business relationship is, is essential. Now, when you talk about fundamental business relationship, is part of what you're going to learn is when you have a business, whether it's a franchise or not a franchise, some of the um, core things that you get out of a franchise, this operator's manual, this systemization of activities, those are all skills that transfer whether you're a franchise or not, right? There's some basic ways of doing business that just makes sense. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, franchising, uh, uh, having a franchise business isn't really that different than having a, a, a regular business, right? Uh, uh, you have to understand the business model. And so what I t teach the students is to understand the business model, you have to do quite a lot of research before uh, getting into that relationship. This is a long-term relationship. So, um, you know, my students, they, they do some research on franchise-based business they're interested in. They build a, um, a business case around why that, that franchise uh, would work in the Atlanta area or outside the Atlanta area. Uh, and then they kind, of under, they, they kind of do due diligence around, will that business model work? Is it is scalable? Because many times if you have a franchise-based business, you just don't want to have one. You want to have two or three or maybe a portfolio of franchise-based businesses. So, um, you know, the class is really about um, applying, uh, the, understanding the benefits of franchising. So understand, understanding what you're getting out of that. And, and knowing when to say, no, I'm not interested in that franchise and, and, and when that there is a great opportunity for that. Now, let's look at an individual that's considering uh, purchasing a franchise or going that route rather than starting something from scratch. Is there, um, like, if I like ice cream, should I look at ice cream franchises? Like, what are some of the um, attributes of a good franchise for someone, and how do I kind of assess what's right for me? So, first of all, you got to understand, you know, what the investment is, so the size of the investment you need to make. So if you want to, for example, become a hotel franchisee, that's a quite sizable investment. If you want to own a, a, you know, a smaller a restaurant franchise, it's a smaller investment. At the same time, you know, if you have a small investment, you're not going to make a million dollars out of that every year. Mm -hmm. So understanding kind of what is the investment, uh, what are you going to get out of that business, and, and in order to, to, to make what you need to make to survive, how many of those outlets do you need? Um, now, I would say that if you have a passion for the business, it's obviously, that's the best case scenario, right? If, you're in, if you have passion about pizza, then um, I would say you're, gonna be, you're more likely to be successful if you have passion about the business. And so, understanding uh, who owns that business, who owns a franchise, is it a private equity firm, is it a founder? Those are very important things you gotta understand. And what I would say is the, the, the one piece of advice I give all franchisees, uh, potential franchisees, is to talk to other franchisees. If you want to become uh, a Subway franchisee, go out and uh, talk to a bunch of Subway franchisees and see what their lifestyle is like. And if you like that lifestyle, if you, if you, if you, if you um, see something that you like in that, then that's probably a pretty good indicator whether or not you can be successful in that business. Um, but I would say, I, I caution uh, a lot of franchisees, don't make you know, rash decisions, right? You've, you've got time to make those decisions. Do your due do do, 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 do diligence and, and uh, uh, find, the con uh, find the contract, the franchise disclosure document, contact franchisees, uh, understand um, what you're getting into, and take your time. And uh, get a financial advisor, get a franchise lawyer to look over the documents before you sign anything, because this is a long-term commitment uh, that um, can be very rewarding. At the same time, it can be also very stressful uh, because you're, you're, um, you're signing a contract. Now, as a franchisee, it doesn't necessarily mean some franchises aren't built on me doing the work, right? Some franchises are built of me owning a bunch of them and, having other, and hiring other people to be the manager and running the day-to-day -day operations, right? That's a choice also in the franchise world. Absolutely, and it depends on the brand. Some brands allow that. Mm -hmm. And some brands require you to be um, an owner-operator. So, I um, mean, a lot of my students are interested, for example, in Chick-fil-A. Uh, it's a great, iconic brand based in Atlanta. 
Uh, but that uh, Chick-fil-A's uh, franchise contract is very unique. Um, you're not going to be able to own, um, you know, multiple, multiple uh, outlets. Um, the franchisor has a lot of control over that relationship because of the structure of that relationship. Uh, so you really have to understand um, what the franchisor wants. So there's other brands that require you to own five, you know, to, to, to uh, sign a contract that requires you to open a number of outlets, um, which is a much more multi-unit strategy. And I would say the multi-unit strategy is one that's growing. There's more and more franchisors looking for large multi-unit operators that own five or six or 10 or 15 of these outlets uh, because they tend to be a little more sophisticated. Um, but there are still brands out there that require you to be an owner-operator. So if you're, for example, a doctor and you want to invest in a franchise brand to kind of, uh, you have excess money that you want to invest in that, some brands won't allow you to do that because you have to actually be in the store operating that store. Um, which is, there's just so many different types of models in franchising. So really understand if that fits your, your lifestyle. Now, how does a typical person even become aware of all of the different choices there are? So there's, there's, there's publications out there that obviously um, uh, rank kind of the fastest-growing franchise-based businesses, uh, the, the, the newest uh, franchise-based businesses. Uh, franchise Times, for example, is a whole magazine kind of allocated around franchising. Um, it's really important for you to do your due diligence and kind of look around and see. Just because a franchise-based business has been around a long time doesn't mean it's a bad investment, doesn't mean it's a good investment. Just because a franchise is growing very rapidly doesn't mean that it's a great investment. Curves, for example, is one of the fastest growing franchise-based businesses. Curves, um, a fitness uh, franchise. Uh, it also declined very rapidly. So you've really got to understand that um, the, the environment's changing very rapidly as well. If you think of a company like Blockbuster. Blockbuster was a franchise. That was a franchise? Yeah, so I mean, can you imagine one day you own 50 Blockbusters and <laughs> right. you're just running around happy as, as anything and then all of a sudden, What's this Netflix thing I'm reading about? <laughs> exactly. Um, and technology is rapidly changing. So, you know, we have, um, you know, uh, automated driving, which is, might impact certain franchise-based businesses out there. And if you're signing a 10-year contract or 15-year contract, you've really got to think about what, what services you're offering the consumer and will those services um, be there 10 years from now? So what's your backstory? Were you involved in franchising or how'd you get into uh, so I, academics um, of franchising? So I, you know, I, I have a bachelor's degree in hospitality. Um, I, um, I worked in the industry for a while. I've never been a franchisee. But, um, you know, Georgia State is a tier one research institution. So they're really interested in individuals that do research in franchising. Mm -hmm. uh, so I went, I went to get my doctoral degree at Boston University, my PhD. Uh, my, my thesis was... Um, um, on franchising. So that's how I, I kind of got into this unique relational form. And from an academic standpoint, it's really interesting because there's all these incentive structures at play. Um, in the franchisors interested in increasing sales, a franchisee is interested in profits, and that creates a lot of interesting tensions that you can study from a theoretical standpoint. So my job at Georgia State, um, one of my primary jobs is doing research around franchising. So one of the interesting questions I'm looking at now is, and if the, the, the larger you are as a franchisee, the more units you have, how does that impact whether or not you will comply with what the franchisor says? So for example, if you have 100 Pizza Huts, uh, are you less likely to comply with what the franchisor wants you to do because you have a lot of power in that relationship? So um, a lot of my time uh, is spent uh, doing research. My parents always ask me, you know, my parents never went to college. 
Um, and they, you know, I teach a franchising course here at Georgia State uh, once a week on Wednesdays. And they, what do you do with all your time, Ben? <laughs> right? They don't understand. I mean, I spend, um, you know, I would say 75% of my time uh, doing research. And as Georgia State's, you know, uh, primarily a research institution, a tier one research institution, that's what, um, you know, uh, professors do here. Now, uh, for you, when you're doing this kind of research and you, part of it is the weight of a hundred franchise, a lot of, so mm -hmm. there's a lot of franchises that have that, where there are uh, some franchisees that have a disproportionate amount. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing them having undue influence or spinning off and, and wanting to do things their way and creating a tension that impacts the franchise as a whole? I think that you know, there's definitely outlets out there uh, that uh, have a lot of large multi-end operators. Um, uh, Pizza is one of those. Um, and I think um, you know, the, the research that I'm doing right now uh, shows that there is some tension around uh, compliance, around certain issues, um, especially when the franchisee doesn't think it's in their best interest. Uh, but then again, you know, it's a the franchise franchise or relationship is one in which, uh, you know, the franchisor uh, is interested in increasing sales, and the franchisee is really interested in the bottom line, which is profitability. And so, there's an inherent tension there. And so, you're always going to have tension in that relationship. The most important thing is for the franchise or to understand that they can't be successful unless their franchisees are successful. And um, you know, there are certain brands that you know have. Um, really suffered because of that. Quiznos is one of those, right? We have one of uh, Quiznos on Broad Street here, but um, Quiznos uh, closed a lot of their outlets. And one reason for that was that they didn't leave enough money on the table for their franchisees. Um, but uh, there's a lot of really interesting questions around um, doing research in franchising uh, because of this unique relational form. Now, is there um, any data about if a person was going to be an entrepreneur and they want to go just do their own thing kind of as an independent versus being a franchisee, is there, you're much more likely for success being a franchisee or what's kind of the, I mean the, the rate of success in each? I would say, you know, that there's limited academic research in this area because it's very hard to, to know what a failure is in a franchise because if you close that outlet, it could reopen again uh, with another franchisee. And is that failing or is that... Uh, so, in a, so it's difficult to, to, to ascertain. What I can say is that the academic research so far has really not shown that much of a difference. Um, Which might be surprising. Well, it's surpri I mean, one thing you've got to think of, too, is that in a franchise relationship, there's a lot of contractual things that require you to, um, for example, stay open all the time, right? When that might not be the best interest in certain in areas. In your market. In your right. market, right? So... Um, you know, the economy changes very rapidly, and then franchisees have to adapt. And in, in that type of environment, you know, an independent operator might be able to adapt quicker. Mm -hmm. um, there are some also issues around, you know, to become a franchisee, you have to go through a certain process to become, um, uh, you know, approved to be a franchisee, which then creates some self-selection issues around doing that type of research. You can't, ran you know, the, 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 the the way to, to really investigate that would to be randomly assign someone to be a franchisee or independent operator, right. which really is not feasible. So there's a lot of issues around uh, that research. But I would say that uh, the assumption that you're going to become a franchisee and you're going to be more successful as a franchisee than independent operator is probably not the right assumption because as a franchisee, you still have to drive your business. Right, and that's another misconception, I think, that people think that they just buy this and then business, you know, build it and they will come, but you have to still work the market and 
kind of market and do the absolutely it's all about the individual franchisee right and the, you know the franchisor it's not a fiduciary relationship right the franchisor is not responsible for your failure or your success they're giving you the opportunity uh in terms of representing the brand but it's not as if you know um you're going to succeed or fail based on just that relationship and um in your work you're, are more and more students coming to this class, and are they more and more interested? Are you seeing a trending in, in more? Yeah, absolutely. Up? I think that the students they don't really know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't really understand what franchising is. They think that you know, they think you know, the franchising is all about becoming a subway franchisee, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, it's much broader than that. And so I think when the students come in, they see guest speakers come in uh, that uh, are in a range of businesses. And uh, they, after they leave the class, they're like, wow, this is a really broad field uh, that really has applications in, in, in many different types of businesses. So, yeah, definitely the, the exposure is growing here at Georgia State around franchising. Good stuff. Well, hang with us. We've got more guests. Next up on, uh, on this show is Jeff Graybeal. Welcome. Glad to be here. Tell us about your work as a, a clinical assistant professor here at the ENI program at Georgia State. So I teach uh, the core entrepreneurial classes, uh, ENI 3101, Entrepreneurial Thinking for Startups, and ENI 3102. Uh, and so students take our core classes, and then they can specialize in electives or others like the franchising entrepreneurship, as well as social entrepreneurship and media entrepreneurship. Um, and like Ben, I do research. Uh, that's part of my job as a professor here. My background is more in the media entrepreneurship realm, uh, but I teach the basic entrepreneurship courses here. So now, um, when you when you came to this program, where where did you see franchising, or was that even on your radar? No, franchising wasn't wasn't on my radar when I came here. Again, media was sort of my background, media entrepreneurship. But in general, Atlanta is such a, a ecosystem for entrepreneurship that it supports all sorts of things, all sorts of areas. Atlanta is very fortunate to have. Um, you know, a support system here with places like Atlanta Tech Village with corporations that support franchising entrepreneurship and elsewhere. So now in your work in media entrepreneurship, what does that entail? Um, my background is more from the scholarly perspective. So again, I've done academic research looking into uh, things like best practices in crowdfunding, um, best practices in pitch persuasion. With that, I developed a micropayment model that looked at um, drivers for cr- small amounts of content online. Um, so that's that's kind of my background looking at the academic side of uh, scholarship into entrepreneurship pertaining to media. Now, when you were, um, uh, what attracted you to the Georgia State's uh, Entrepreneurship Institute? Again, so... Uh, Is it the research element? I mean, that seems to be a big part of uh, what's happening here at Georgia State. Yeah, research and location. Uh, so... Uh, it, Georgia State is a tier one university, like Ben mentioned, and it is on the rise in terms of facilities. Uh, right next door is the Creative Media Industries Institute. I know you spoke with those folks earlier in the year. It's a really nice facility for things like virtual reality, augmented reality. Atlanta, of course, with uh, all they've done in the film industry. I'm from North Carolina originally, so that kind of hurts to see North <laughs> Carolina you know, putting down <laughs> studios and tax incentives, but I'm glad that Georgia and Atlanta filled that void by providing those tax incentives and studios that came here to- Did North Carolina restaurant. pause their tax credit? Like what, what, what? They significantly reduced it. It was, uh, they had, they were at one 
one time known as kind of Wilmywood, they called it for right. Wilmington. Wilmington uh, a right, lot of the Hollywood of the South. There. Yep. Um, and they, they scaled back their amount of the fund that they invested in it significantly. Uh, At the same it. time, Georgia increased theirs? Pretty much, yeah. In the same 10-year so period. So you're a research person. You tell me any cause and effect there? Uh, there's definitely some correlation uh, from a from a tax incentive perspective. I mean, if you talk to the businesses, they'll tell you part of the reason that they located studios. And in fact, Screen Gems has, has a studio in Wilmington and opened a studio here as well in Atlanta. Um, so, you know, those are those are certain things that. Support. So why did in North Carolina just turn it back on? They increased the fund uh, where it was a little bit amount, but every year they have to get, it's a legislative political issue. So they don't um, want the business? No, they want the business. Uh-huh. It's just the political will declined and uh, the funding wasn't there. Wow. Once it's gone, it's gone. That's fascinating. So uh, tell us about your recent trip to Portugal. Yeah, so uh, with my service, my academic service, I'm the immediate head of the the Media Management, Economics, and Entrepreneurship Division of an organization called AEJMC. has about 200 uh, faculty uh, around the world, about a quarter of those internationally, that are involved in that division. And so I was uh, very honored to recently be invited to Portugal, where I attended the University of Porto and the University of Lisbon, and gave a talk on entrepreneurship, management, and marketing in creative industries. Um, so I was invited to give this seminar lecture to these graduate students at these two universities, where I was able to sort of share the story of Atlanta as part of that, talking about Atlanta's entrepreneurial ecosystem, talking about the rise of the film industry um, and the Creative Media Industries Institute and the kind of things we're doing here at Atlanta on a world stage. And Lisbon itself uh, in Portugal is, is a top five city for entrepreneurship in Europe. Uh, Berlin is kind of one of the leading areas, but Portugal is on the rise. And part of that is the Europe, Eurocentric nature. A lot of folks there speak English. And um, again, tax incentives and industries that locate there that help support that. Uh, so that was quite an honor. I brought back a little bit of a cold from Portugal <laughs> as well, as you can probably hear with my voice, but I uh, enjoyed that, that trip very much. So now, um, what is your take on the Atlanta entrepreneurial ecosystem? Now, there's a lot of universities. There's a lot of businesses now, especially you mentioned Tech Village. That's an example of an entrepreneur who exited and is investing back in the entrepreneurial community. Um, are you bullish? Are you, you see a lot of opportunity here? So some of the research I've done, as well as others, uh, really highlight the importance of town-gown relations, so the universities uh, here with others working on developing an ecosystem. There's a, a Professor Eisenberg who has looked at criteria for creating an entrepreneurial ecosystem. Includes things like policy, finance, uh, developing a culture, having support, having markets, and having human capital. So that's where you know Ben was talking earlier about having a lot of corporations here and a culture that supports franchise entrepreneurship. So you see a culture that supports entrepreneurship across Atlanta. That's one of the things where our research also can connect to our classroom. So I encourage our students actually have an assignment that requires them to go to the Atlanta, uh, you know, whether it's Atlanta Tech Village or one of our events at ENI. Um, so they have to get out in the community and go to one of these events and write about it. So having Atlanta Tech Village, having Constellations, having the Microsoft Innovation Center here in walking distance from, from Georgia State, all of these things fuel the, the rise of an ecosystem for entrepreneurship that supports it. So we've been very fortunate, uh, the location, and that's, you know, to your earlier question, one of the reasons I'm here uh, and wanted to come to Atlanta and Georgia State was 
was that location and um, the you know the being around all of these resources. Previously, I was in West Texas developing the entrepreneurial ecosystem there, and and Lubbock had a lot of things going for it, but the location was very remote, and they kind of hit above their class for for where they're at. But five six hours from Austin, um, whereas Atlanta has the airport, has all of the resources that help support that. And going back to the, the earlier thing I wanted to mention, the pipeline with the university, it's important to have things that keep students here. Quality students that come here may take our classes, may do a side hustle, may start a venture. And if they're from elsewhere, they may leave and go back to their current home or wherever. And we want to do things like have cooperative working spaces, have incentives that keep them and help them help grow their business so that they can stay here. So programs like ATDC, um, university programs at Georgia Tech, Georgia State, all of students take part in these things that's really important to help grow entrepreneurship georgia state has a wonderful program but we alone can't do it georgia tech has a wonderful program but georgia tech alone can't do it it's these partnerships and having places that students after they graduate can you know grow and scale their business and have access to resources like capital and mentoring and things of that nature so now is part of your work to kind of uh, define some of the components of a healthy entrepreneurial ecosystem so, so it can be replicated and scaled and maybe placed in other places to help fuel growth there? Yeah, the thing that's interesting about entrepreneurial ecosystems is Eisenberg and others tell you, first off, don't be the next Silicon Valley. They all want to be the next Silicon Valley. And you know, places like New York and Berlin even have what they call Silicon Alley um, for media places and tech startups. Um, so on one hand, they suggest that it should grow organically, but on the other hand, you have these things where the government, um, with tax policies, with finances, with markets, and someone like Steve Case, the founder of AOL, talks about the rise of the rest. You have all of the venture capital in California and New York, but he's saying that through things like crowdfunding and others, you know, and Atlanta is growing with that, that the, the next wave of startups that we can invest in are not going to be in these top two cities, they're going to be elsewhere. And part of that is having, uh, you know, again, partnerships and commitment to help grow that. Um, but yeah, so that's part of the one of the things I look at is what can help grow and support entrepreneurial ecosystems. And it's the, that fusion. And then increasingly seeing areas that have specialized ecosystems as well, like an ecosystem to support franchise entrepreneurship. There's very few that focus on media entrepreneurship ecosystems. New York is one of those because they actually take the, the tax credits and the funding from the mayor's office that for film and television. They take that money and flow it into a consortium of 18 universities for a program called New York. City Immediate Media Lab. So they're actually taking the, the, the film and television credit and funding that into a, a research partnership of universities and startups that are working together collaboratively. So a place like Atlanta could do something along those lines, right, with uh, the film industry here, with you know the music industry here playing to our strengths. So the, the, this was a question they asked in Portugal was, what do you mean, what's this contra contrast about growing organically versus supporting something? And I said, the example is, you know, West Texas has a very vibrant music scene, but it's a certain type of music history, Buddy Holly and, and country and Western roots. You couldn't take trap music, for example, which has a rich history here in Atlanta, and plant that and expect it to grow in West Texas. It probably wouldn't work. Um, so there's lots of things that can be done to, to support an ecosystem, and our academic research helps support that and studies that as well. Um, some questions. So is that the lesson is that you take what the region or the area has like its superpower, strength, or special sauce, and then you use some of these initiatives that are successful in other markets and then kind of just 
plug and play it into what already exists and then grow out from there? Yeah, that's that's part of it. You um, and start, part of it's still being told. I mean, also like with North Carolina, as we talked about earlier, don't rest on your laurels, right? And that's a message for Atlanta: don't rest on your laurels, right? Um, you know, so continue those tax incentives and can you continue to promote it? One of the criticisms of Atlanta, they, they, they'll argue that Atlanta doesn't have a um, film industry it has a film production industry it's still lacking and you know can develop further in terms of talent and other areas of specialty so the production studios are here um, but you still are having to go to california to pitch you're still having to you know um, get ta- the, the walking dead is kind of a joke in that like 90 percent of the actors for some reason are british right they all <laughs> right. come here and they're all british uh, on the show so we're exporting that ta- importing that talent from overseas but isn't that the same thing here of silicon valley kind of centric where i have to go there to get vc money but it's slowly coming where this is growing an area and 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 the film will probably be the same thing over time i would imagine if we can keep the studios here yep and that's that's where it comes back to the, the university pipeline so i can't tell you the number of students that i have that are interested in music or film or music production um and you had robert hatcher here earlier in the semester talking about sound collide we have a lot of student talent here that is interested that are artists that are producers and a lot of uh, related talent in terms of the film industry as well and part of that they're here is because of the location you know every week we get notifications about there's filming there's been filming right. here in this building in 55 park um and all around us so we see it at georgia state every week um, right probably more than the average because exactly. so much stuff films downtown and we're, we're very proud of that of course uh, you know atlanta is able to get that that notoriety and that attention All right, hang with us. We've got one more guest. Next up on the program, we've got Manal Patel. Welcome. Hello. So, Manal, you are an alum. You've lived through Georgia State, right? You went went here? Yes, I did. Uh, Class of 2006. And then, uh, so you liked it enough to come back and be part of this show. I I really enjoyed it. I think, um, you know, a lot of what these gentlemen here are saying, you know, being in the city, I've seen this university transform. Um, I've seen the city transform, and a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, my success, uh, with what I was able to capture from here. And, uh, yeah, I'm back. This is my contribution back, and, you know, I think I found my next team right here. There you go. There's a lot of brains, smart people in this room. Now, you're with MP Hospitality. Uh, tell us about that. How are you serving folks? So that is my uh, company. Uh, we're going to, you know, eventually launch that this year. But it is a combination of what I put together, which came to be all hospitality related. Um, you know, out of out of school, you know, I went to work. I was with Verizon Wireless for many years. Um, my family's been in the hotel business, which is franchised. I grew up doing that. I felt the need to go out and venture, uh, stay away from that, knowing that it was in my back pocket. So I, I went to work. Uh, you know, ironically, I went into the sales side of things, uh, not realizing that I was good at sales, but I, I was taught. Uh, the great thing was that the company I worked for taught me a lot about multi-unit uh, leadership. Uh, part of that I learned here at State, and then I, you know, applied it uh, when I went out into the field. Uh, and a lot of my contacts that I made here, you know, helped me uh, kind of merge a lot of my obstacles that I was running into when I went out there. 
Um, you know, left there, got back to the hotel business, uh, realized that I wanted to put my multi-unit uh, leadership skills to work. Uh, and part of um, what Ben spoke about is, you know, I looked at many franchises before I got into what I 100% do alone is I'm in the pizza business with Marco's Pizza Franchising. Mm -hmm. How'd you choose Marco's? Well, um, well, well, tell me about the whole process to choose anything. Okay. Like, so you, you had a blank sheet of paper, right? You could have picked anything? Yes and no. Some of the things Ben said, you know, uh, you know, for example, Chick-fil-A or, or a Domino's, you know, there are certain guidelines that are maybe outside of, of, of the reach for individuals, right? There, there may be a lot more involved. They don't just want your money. They want to know that you're going to be in the unit. That was a lot of weeding out there because right. the brands that we typically think of, you know, we're like, okay, well, I'm going to save money. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to apply. And then you run into these roadblocks. And so then that filtered out a lot of guys. So that kind of helped you make, force your hand a little bit and helped you make a decision. Then you move into a different pool. And then again, you decide individually, what do I want to do? What type of lifestyle am I looking for? Do I want to be multi-unit? Do I want to be single? you know, unit, do I just want one shop and, you know, that's going to be my, my end all and I want it to be in my neighborhood. Right. So all those factors contributed to directing me into, you know, so, limited options. When you first started, you started writing down, okay, these, this is my dream list, right? You, you had, what were the, some of the first names you wrote down of brands that you wanted to consider? So for me personally, I looked at growth. I wanted to at least do three to five units. Uh, based on my experience, I felt like that would provide uh, not only the financial uh, return that I was looking for, it would also allow me to build a team where I could ultimately hand that to somebody to run and then I oversee. So you didn't want to be the one in the store in the neighborhood pizza place or the neighborhood location. You wanted something larger. That would be my exit but without selling. That would be my personal exit. Right. And then so when you're attacking it that way, you need different things than you would if it was just your store, right? Like you have to approach it differently. If it's you in a store, then you know you're gonna be the one that's out there doing the work in that local community market. But if you're gonna say, okay, I'm gonna get three to five, now I need a team of people, right? I gotta find them, I have mm -hmm. to attract them. Right. So looking at you know rents in certain neighborhoods, right? If I'm gonna run it, I don't have to pay a GM. Right now, my now GM. my cost went down. <laughs> right, right. If, if I'm going to hand it off, what does labor look like in that neighborhood? What does turnover look like? What does the retail space look like? Mm -hmm. Is there anything available? So all those pieces, and again, then dealing with the different franchise companies, uh, you know, roadblocks that I ran into was, you know, for example, I looked at Jimmy John's. Uh, I looked at. I even looked at Subway. <laughs> Uh, I looked at uh, your, uh, your Pie, which is another pizza concept out of right. Athens. Did, did you have some sort of Sherpa helping you think all this through and like somebody guiding this process or were you doing it kind of on your own? Well, the, uh, I made a lot of relationships when I was at Georgia State. Mm -hmm. And again, a lot of those uh, young individuals, families come from businesses. So tapping into my resources that way and with my parents, uh, you know, their associates, just, just picking brains. Right. But Ben wasn't here. <laughs> you had to do this without Ben's counsel. <laughs> Sans Ben. 
There's life before oh, Ben, ben and well, life Ben's after here. Ben. Yeah. Ben's here now. Relax. That's right. It's all going to be okay now. Ben is here. Yeah, I mean, I, t- I tell all my students that you know when they when they're in the class, they they learn something in the class. But the the biggest thing about a, a school like Georgia State is you have access to that network of students that are going to be kind of the most important thing that you take forward with you mm-hmm. in terms of understanding you know how to succeed in business. Um, and franchising, certainly there's a lot of individuals out there that will help you. Um, and, you know, Manal's an example of someone that has come out of GSU as uh, an entrepreneur and has used franchising as, you know, one avenue, not the only avenue for, for his entrepreneurial um, ventures, but one avenue. Um, and he's right. You know, once you look at um, something, uh, once you pick a business, you've got to think of, you know, do I want to stay in Atlanta? Do I have to leave Atlanta to take this business opportunity? And, you know... I think Manal with Marcos picked a brand where it was a brand that, that fit his, his, what his needs were at that time. So now you're at, where are you at with Marcos right now? Um, I'm a two-unit operator. Mm-hmm. I had three. Uh, I sold one off. Again, it came back down to uh, you know, time and value. What, what am I getting? Uh, but I learned a lot. I, the, that location that I got, that I exited from was a failing store that I purchased. Uh, which again, it kind of came to me, but I'm a, I'm a two unit operator. Uh, I'm very content where I'm at with that. Uh, part of my selection with Marcos was, it's a growth company. Again, growth is not always good. I've seen it transition. Uh, you know, the the speed at which they're moving for a new entrepreneur or a new business owner might be very challenging because you don't have a say so in it, right? Especially a one two unit operator guy. It's like here's what you're doing, here's the date. And you kind of run with that. And it can be difficult because entrepreneurs want that free, uh, that kind of you know free spirit mind, like, all right, here's what I'm gonna do. And um, then um, how, what have you learned? What are some of the, the good and the bad of, of what you've learned so far with Marcos? With Marcos or, or franchising? Well, well, we'll take Marcos because you're in it okay. now, right? Yeah, Marcos Pizza is great. I mean, part of my selection with that was that if I'm personally going to do something, right, in my mind, I have to be passionate about that product. And that's something that I think... So you ate a lot of pizza? I mean, I hope you do too. <laughs> I try to. Pizza's good. Pizza's good, especially our pizza. It's fresh, right? Um, again, we make our dough in-house. That was huge for me. Uh, I was like, this is amazing. So now I can sell a product that I don't feel bad about uh, with you know the, the way people are, are eating these days. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it might be a little high on the calorie count, but it's fresh. So it gave me growth, it gave me options. Um, I have a voice, I'm not just you know a dot there. And I love the product. The product is great, I'm passionate about it, so when I speak, to my team or we're educating ourselves on on pizza which i never thought i would be doing because you know there's a way to sauce a pie uh, <laughs> there's affects, a right way there's a right way there's a wrong way it affects the bake I, you know i had to learn all this i'm not a i'm not a restaurateur right but the big advantage of franchising uh particularly in this qsr world was you know lower investment you know ben ben talked about that because i'm young you know i don't have all this money to, to, to throw around, you know? Um, so getting into it, uh, it is riskier, but if you're in there, you know, you learn. And, and one of the biggest things for me is, yeah, I thought about it many times. I said, well, I've learned that. Why don't I open up my own shop? Well, 
for an entrepreneur, you know, especially in this day, the tools to go fund technology could be costly. Right. Buying into the ecosystem has allowed me to tap into their tools at a lot lower cost and use those. Because they have economies of scale. Right. So they have they have the economies of scale and they have a corporate office doing all that work with our royalty dollars. Right. Which as franchisees, we need to understand that. Mm -hmm. And then you have to appreciate that and not take it for granted. Appreciate it and use it. Something you stated earlier is, you know, it's not I'm going to build it out, put the sign up and the doors are going to be flooded. And it's an ATM machine. I just cash checks every week. Right. right. It's not. That's that <laughs> is uh, that is something that, you know, entrepreneurs and the franchise model, all that combustion together will create that success. So now uh, what's been the most rewarding part for you? Oh, man, um, it is it is not easy by any means. Um, it what is, about it the is, leading and the seeing kind of the people step up and rise to the occasion and kind of help you? So the support system that you build around your ecosystem, right, uh, which for me also is a huge benefit because I came to Georgia State. Lean in there. Getting closer to the I mic. came to yeah, Georgia yeah. State because we moved to Atlanta and a lot of the contacts, resources in the hospitality department, you know, I still reached out to them and said, hey, here's my issue. Boom, get an answer or create that system. You know, I, I ran into Ben at a event for the DeKalb Chamber and, and here we are and we've talked about franchising and some of the things that I'm running to, what his outlook is. Uh, but my team, you know, growing the team has been uh, very inspiring because you know, at, at some point you, you make that turn and you say, all right, now I'm going to hire folks that are going to teach me. And that, that was massive mm-hmm. was I'm not the smartest guy no more. Yeah. I got it open, but now I need to bring someone in to teach me how to get to the next level. And then when you see that in action, you must be proud, right? Yeah. You know, um, when, when your sales grow and your margins, uh, start getting wider, you know, it's, it's a happy, it's a happy run to the bank. <laughs> so now, uh, what's the ultimate dream? The ultimate dream for me in this world is, uh, right now to put our hotel business, my restaurant side. I also do some real estate, buy and flip, renovate, uh, you know, apartments, is to put all that under an umbrella mm-hmm. and create some more support staff to where I can not be so hands-on. And I've already started that process because at some point you can only continue to be uh, the glue that sticks everything together. You know, someone else has to be able to do that for me to then venture off and say, let's look at another deal. Because today I couldn't do that. I could, but I'd be I'd be hurting all the other people. And for me, and for other entrepreneurs to uh, make sure that they are conscious and aware of that is, is huge to say, hey, where am I? You know, and really do a reality check. Where am I? Where am I today? How can I get there without just adding on stuff? So now how, uh, do you have any advice for the entrepreneur when it comes to uh, attracting talent? Like how do you find the right people that are right fits for the team? So particularly today, that's a huge uh, topic in our industry. I'm sure these gentlemen know with, you know, employment the way it is, it's very difficult because everybody's throwing money out there at at candidates. Um, 
for for me particularly and with my colleagues, it is uh, hire for attitude, train for skill. Um, you know, it's it's a lot. It's a little bit more work up front, and again. You know, hiring people because they have this amazing resume or or X, Y, Z, you put them in your system. And now you got to try to change that. And it always doesn't work that way. But, you know, keeping keeping your eyes and ears open. I mean, someone doesn't have to be from pizza to be a uh, a pizza GM. I mean, look at me. I'm not a restaurateur, but I'm probably one of the better Marcos pizza franchisees in the market. It's just how open are you to change and adapt to what what is really going on? Not what you think is going on. Now, what about looking back to your days at Georgia State? Do you have any advice for young people of how to get the most out of the Georgia State experience? This campus has really evolved. Uh, I haven't been around much except for the past few months here with the uh, warm welcome of Ben and, and the hospitality department. They have a lot of tools and resources here, a lot more than I did. And I would really, really uh, spend time and, and, and poke poke around to all these different things that are, are happening, you know, with, with the film industry, the way it is with music, the way it is in Atlanta. I remember a lot of my colleagues when I was here, they were all interested in those things, right? Nobody was interested in franchising then, but now franchising is on the map, right? That's a great way for a entrepreneur to get their feet into something, have a support system, uh, and be able to grow and, and develop some cash flow to then, you know, maybe do something else with that. It doesn't mean that's the end all, but it is a huge avenue. And with the way franchising is going, you know, um, like Ben stated, you can be in the chiropractic field and get into franchising. That didn't exist 10 years ago, right? You could be in the chair business and say, I have a passion for chairs. Guess what? You can be a chair distributor. There's a franchise for that. Right. So there's lots of, there's lots of things about franchising that we can educate ourselves on and really get into and create cash flow. And you don't need brick and mortar right? That's the huge thing today versus when I was in school. You don't need brick and mortar. You can do everything from your cell phone. If you really want to hustle, you can get it done. Now, uh, Jeff and Ben, any advice for young people if they want to plug into the GSU ecosystem? Well, one of the things I would add is that so Georgia State is going to be leading the way. They're launching a new initiative in the fall. Now, it's for accreditation purposes, which gets a little bit in the uh, jargony weeds. But the university is launching a thing uh, called a quality enhancement plan, and its focus is on college to careers. So we're going to be uh, across all units in Georgia State having a focus on uh, making students uh, connect and be aware of and demonstrate how they are learning career readiness, career readiness, career competencies so what class what skill sets are they learning in their courses that they can then apply in careers and part of that and one of the things that entrepreneurship and hospitality both is kind of already believes in is sort of a portfolio approach to education where students are able to document what they learned in their courses how they're applying it um, and so the idea that entrepreneurship we very much believe in our courses that it's experiential that one of the best ways students can learn entrepreneurship is by doing entrepreneurship so a lot of 
of our course projects are applied. They're actually creating real startups and, and really going to pitch competitions for real prize money. So these are the type of things that they can document to potential employers when they, you know, you're looking to hire that, hey, like I took part in this pitch competition or this is my skill set in this area. And so part of that as well as we early on have them do things like personality tests. You know, six, entrepreneur is one of the 16 personality types. Um, you know, do you have certain skill sets that lend you to be an entrepreneur or, you know, if, you're, if it's a tech startup, they say hipster, hacker, or hustler, right? So are you on the business side? Are you on the design and creative side? So these are things that we're learning in our courses that then make students more marketable and help them identify potential career paths for them. And it may be not in a particular industry that they associate it with, like you're talking about, but say, hey, I have this skill set. This suits me in this particular job. So you're going to see more and more focus on that across the university and in general, you know, ENI and hospitality and Robinson really believes in that as well, that what we're doing in the classroom has application and students can not only be aware of it, but demonstrate it and kind of take a lead role across the country and being able to do that. And you're looking for businesses around town to partner with you, right? So that you can give the students the opportunity to kind of experience life in a startup or life in some of these small to fast growing companies. Absolutely. So they can, you know, create their own startup, have a side hustle, go work in an existing company, all of these different. But that helps build their portfolio. Yep. Absolutely. Now, Ben, are you looking for uh, that? You want the whole franchise community here in Atlanta to get involved with the program? Absolutely. I mean, I have guest speakers in my class. Um, You know, almost every class I have guest speakers come in to engage the students. I mean, that's the advantage of being in Atlanta. You know, I lived in Ithaca for six years. Right. How many franchisors (laughs) you get in there? Not many. Um, You know, the the one thing I'll tell the students here at Georgia State um, to do is network. You know, we have a lot of first generation students that. Uh, might not understand kind of the the power of networking. You know, the 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 Cornell students I had were much more savvy in terms of understanding kind of how networks work, and they had much more social capital. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the things I tell my students to do is use your faculty members as a, a starting point right. uh, and connection point. Uh, go meet with them, engage with as many people as possible in the community. That's where you, a lot of the value comes from. Certainly, you can learn things in the classroom, but. Uh, you know, one of the reasons you're here at Georgia State is to experience Atlanta. And so, um, you know, when you're a student, people are willing to help you. You know, it's much easier to get connections when you're a student because people are there and they want you to succeed. So do that. Reach out to people. When you have a guest speaker in class, send them an email. Uh, If you want to work in a business and understand how it works, um, ask them for an internship. Um, And and use your faculty members as, as much as possible. Now, Manal, uh, for you, if somebody wants to learn more about uh, what you're up to, is there any coordinates? You want to share where your pizza places are? Do you want to give the coordinates of your hospitality firm? Uh, sure. I mean, if they want to reach out to me, uh, definitely email would be the best way. Uh, it's manalap at gmail.com. Uh, we're in the process of, of getting the MP Hospitality umbrella uh, buttoned up um, mm-hmm. so that's not currently live um, so that would be the best way to reach me manalap at gmail.com or they can contact Dr. Lawrence here in the hospitality department he will forward them my way but one of my locations is the Marcos Pizza right by the Atlanta airport on Virginia Avenue mm-hmm. um, so that is a it's actually one of the nicer locations it's really nice check it out guys alright well thank you all for being part of the show today thanks so much thank you awesome
All right. This is Lee Cantor for Stone Payton. We will see you all next time on Georgia State University's Entrepreneurship and Innovation Institute radio show.